0: Welcome to the Influency Podcast. I'm Hadar, and this is episode number 49. And today we are going to talk about, okay, take a deep breath. The price English learners pay for systemic racism. Hey, hey, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me again. I'm so happy to have you here. So what I want to share with you today is an interview I had with teacher Will from Ask Teacher Will. You can find him on Instagram and on YouTube. Now, this has been one of the most interesting and insightful conversations that I've ever had, especially about the state of the English learning industry and the way English is being taught on YouTube. Now. It is related to everything that has been going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, white privilege, privilege in general, and all of these things that truly affect English learners. And it's important to acknowledge it and to talk about it and to become aware of it as learners and as educators and creators and teachers. And I don't want to talk a lot because we really cover everything in the interview. And what Will has to share there is simply incredible and so insightful. And I'm sure you can learn and benefit from that. Also, his analogies and metaphors and the way he explains things. I mean, no wonder he's a teacher. The way he explains things about uh, racism and systemic racism, individual racism is just it makes it so clear and understandable and sometimes we get we shut down when we hear these discussions because we're like oh i know all about that like i can't i don't you know positive positive energies only but these are important things to know and to listen to even if you don't live in the us because racism is everywhere and discrimination and prejudice and we all need to acknowledge that and to look at ourselves and our privilege and to see who is being hurt because of that. And that's it. So if you are interested also, it's a great opportunity to practice your English, a lot of idioms, expressions, and vocabulary that is used in contemporary conversation. So let's go ahead and listen to the interview I had with teacher Will on the Live English Show every Thursday at 12 PM EST. And once you are done listening to the episode, come on over to Instagram and tell me what you think and share with me your thoughts, feelings, and ideas. I'm at hadar.accentsway Okay, so let's listen.
1: My name is Will. I am American. I was born in America and... Before I entered the teaching world for about years, over 20 years, I entered the business. I was in the business arena. The business had various different roles from business development to sales. And then the one great constant of the world is change. I went back in about 2011 and I went back and received, uh, went back to get my TESOL certification because the economy was crazy at the time. And so I decided to enter the world of teaching, looked at three particular countries, China, South Korea, Saudi Arabia. So I'm uh, currently in Saudi Arabia. I've been teaching here since 2011. I love the industry. I love teaching. I finally found my passion uh, for me. And my approach to teaching is, and again, it's just my approach. I believe that because English is a global international language, It has the right to be spoken by everyone. And English can be learned in any situation. English, to me, is more than vocabulary and grammar. though Those are the foundations of the language. English can be learned with respect to or as it relates to movies. English can be learned as if one wants or needs information in terms of a restaurant. And English, ladies and gentlemen, I believe, can also be learned by talking about topics around the world, that either directly or indirectly might impact you because the common tongue at this particular moment or on this particular call is English. So thank you very much for inviting me. The theme that I have is, is kind of like two people. I, I really have themes since I've been on this social media journey. One is uh, we learn together. And I really believe that. If indeed that we say we're all human beings and we have humans on the call, we learn together. Learn is the acquisition or can be defined as the acquisition of knowledge. And so just because my job or, or my title as a teacher does not mean that I cannot acquire knowledge from anyone, particularly someone that has had a different experience from my own. So we learn together is one important thing to me. And the other thing is motivation, inspiration through what? Through English. In my own life, I have been motivated, motivated, or motivation being defined as some internal feeling where I'm going to be influenced or inspiration. I've been motivated or inspired by other people in my life, family, friends, loved ones, teachers that I've had in the past. And... I've been motivated by that. But for me, one of the reasons why I love that phrase motivation, inspiration through English is for people, particularly on the call at the moment, you might be inspired and motivated by people or things. But I believe it is important never to take your own self out of that motivation process. So it's very important, I believe, or try trying to encourage learners that are part of the ATW family to recognize that motivation, inspiration starts from where, within. So thank you for having. So me. Thank you for having
0: me. Thank you so much. So so like this is really really good, and it really shows a lot of knowledge um, as to the process of learning a language. And I can't help but ask, and I know that we have a lot of. Learners who are Arabic speakers, I can't help but ask: Living in Saudi Arabia, like how was ex- your experience immersing in a different, yeah, culture, different yeah, language? Yes. And how was your Arabic? Uh,
1: and I've been—I was home in America in December and January. But by living in a different culture and a different country, it's really made me appreciate my own values and my culture even more. It's made me appreciate being an American even more. I knew the value of being American. And uh, what I would say is, is that based on my experiences I had, I knew that I had certain freedoms. I know we had certain privileges, but living in in Saudi Arabia, it's definitely made me appreciate a couple things. One is to recognize that freedom, and I knew this in America, but it's only exacerbated or I only have an uh, enhanced appreciation for it. That freedom is never free and freedom starts within. And that's particularly, I believe, applicable to one's learning English, that freedom is never free. And then also the ability to live in a culture different from my own has given me the appreciation of not understanding my own particular culture, my own particular values, but someone else, someone else's culture. So people call me, oh, you're an honorary Saudi or you're honorary Jadawi, and I'm honored by that. Final statement I would say on that is the following, is is that oftentimes people have asked me, okay, uh, what do you like? What do you don't like? And so my thing is this. I will say that there are certain things that I love about Saudi Arabia, right? I have the choice of living here. If I ever want to go home, I can, and I will. I will not retire here. When people ask me the question and say, what don't I like, I typically respond, that's really not important because it's not my country. I really ask the, those people that are, like, say, from Saudi or the Arabic world, what don't you like? Because I think that's the more important conversation. But at the end, I think it is extremely important that anyone has the ability—if you can—to live in a different culture other than your own. And one language that you can do that is through English. With respect to my Arabic, I don't tell people the level of proficiency with respect to my Arabic, so that when when they say bad things about me and they don't think I respond, don't think God. I respond to them, I'm like they're like, oh, kind of my Arabic. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. But I'm a work in progress. I do speak English. I do speak. I don't, I don't speak French. Speak French, French. Um, but on call, mm-hmm. but or or I on, use the language. I use, you know, French or my limited Arabic, with respect to like if I'm just speaking with family or friends.
0: I love it. So I have two things to say about that. One, I thought that you might avoid talking about your Arabic and I'm glad that you did at the end. Uh, And I have to say that I am definitely working on learning Arabic. Uh, This is my goal for the next uh, year or two, because as an Israeli, I mean, it's a shame. It's a shame. It's a disgrace that I don't speak Arabic. So I know a little bit, but what you learn in school is just, you know, it's literary Arabic. You can't really really speak to people. Um, and actually recognized this life- before
1: mm-hmm. the be corona. So, mm-hmm. kind of, so now it's kind of yeah. the Arabic that I know, I know is that I know I was given friends and family and I was taking normal classes. And now it's like now that I'm going back to work the curfew will be lifted. But most of it has been online. So again, I think it's the you know, the beautiful thing is is that whether it's whether it's Hebrew, whether it's Arabic, whether it's English, again, a part of a component of English is is understanding culture and the cultural implications that English has in various different cultures. And that's why cultures and cultures that's cultures why why perception with respect to English might be different in certain parts of the world than the other. And hopefully by that, I've become a much more effective teacher because before I came here, I actually taught in um, America as well, in Chicago. So if anybody's in, on the call from Chicago, hello from Chicago.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. And like, I think language acquisition and language learning, not acquisition, but language learning has become really, really accessible. So, um, you know, like with everything that the online sphere has to offer. And uh, the second thing that I wanted to say is about the cultural differences that you talked about. I recently had a workshop with my students about cross-cultural communication which is basically how do you, like, okay, there is English, right? But there is the nuanced English or the cultural aspect of a language that you don't usually learn in school or online or stuff like that. Like, how do you say something in a way that sounds easy or comfortable for the other person to learn, to, to listen or to hear? Because sometimes you may say something and that's exactly, like, it's what you want. The message is the same, but it generates uh maybe resistance or frustration because of how you put it and how you said it and this is i think a very frustrating aspect for especially immigrants living in the us or living and immersing themselves in a new culture in a different culture that is not their own culture and that and you speak english where you speak english and you realize it's sometimes not enough to just know english because you need to understand the nuances the cultural nuances and one of the things. That,, um, gosh, it's like it's <laughs> there's so much to take in as an immigrant,, uh, you know, like so many things that you have to take into consideration. Um, and, but what we talked about there is the most important thing that no matter what happens, as, you know, an American communicating at work with someone who is non-American or as, Let's say me, I'm Israeli. I have a very way, like we have a very direct form of communication. And I hear a lot of Israeli uh, people, students saying, okay, Americans are sometimes, you know, it feels like they're artificial. They're not really close. And what they're doing is they're judging a certain person or culture through their cultural prism, through their lens. And it's really, really, it's, it's something that is not beneficial for the person speak like for the judger and the person being judged because you can't say about someone oh he's this or that or why are they doing this because you are not taking into consideration the col- the culture that they come from and i i believe that when we become more curious about other cultures and understand habits or behavior i i think we can be a lot more like a much more compassionate communicators
1: I definitely Um, agree with your comment 100%, and what I would add on to that is, is that I think it's very important, at least for myself, is to realize that I don't leave my culture at the door. No learner, no one studying English leaves their English at the door. Now, that's something we might talk about later, and you might be encouraged to do that, but my experience is I don't leave who I am, my culture, how I identify myself at the door. And so... With respect to English, the only point I would add on briefly to that is yes, is understanding the nuance of the particular culture. I am an immigrant to Saudi Arabia, and so therefore I have to understand different levels of communication. I'm American, so as a result, my communication is considered direct, or sometimes my tone is considered direct, and that might not be there for all individuals. So if we say that we're a human race, I would encourage anyone To do what you said, Teacher Hadar, in a sense of curiosity, a sense of curiosity of learning about an experience different than your own, you have that opportunity to do it in English. It might be challenging for individuals or you might not come from a society or culture that allows that. And I understand that. But you do have an opportunity. But nuance is extremely, extremely important to understand.
0: So important. And it really kind of like resolves a lot of issues about, because again, like you hear the words, but you get a different message and it's important to understand those nuances. Now, what's interesting is that you said you are considered to be direct in the culture that you're in. But if I, you know, for me, American culture is a lot less direct. So when I was working toward, like when I was preparing for this workshop, I uh, came across the cultural map, the culture map uh, by Mm -hmm. Erin Mayer, uh, Mayer, and you can Google it. I think it's really, it, it would be really interesting. And she maps out different cultures in Scale of people who are more emotionally expressive and less emotionally expressive and more confrontational versus less confrontational. And you could see like Israeli culture is all the way at the end of the, (laughs) at the end and versus let's say Japanese culture where it is less confrontational, less emotionally expressive. No judgment whatsoever. This is just like the result of a research showing how people communicate. So even when we think that our culture is either direct or indirect, it's always in relation to who you're speaking with which is very exactly. very interesting yeah and and that's like because of that it's so important not to come with preconceived notions and ideas as to how one needs to communicate and always check where you're at at a given moment who you're speaking with how what their reaction is like right mm-hmm. before you decide on oh I should do this I should do that I mean at the end of the day and I agree with you 100% about never leave your who you are, your identity and your culture at the door. Never, ever, ever, even if people expect you to do that or ideas, you you have ideas, that you should leave it out the door. And even if you may face discrimination because it's a tough world out there and people do um, experience discrimination because of who they are, where they're from. But at the same time, I think that it would serve us as communicators and as people of the citizens of the world to uh, Because when we leave a part of us at the door, then we also leave a huge part of our confidence and our authenticity.
1: Yes, and when we yes. leave
0: that out, it's really, really hard to be present and to communicate fully and to have that amazing interaction that people can have. You know, even if it's just you buying groceries at the store. Exactly, right? Like exactly.
1: Exactly. Yeah. The, the exact, only thing I would add, thing add on, would on add that that is, the word, is, word that we'll talk, we'll talk about, that about is this about is timeless 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 for me, for me. It's like, like any, any other, other language. Any the goal of a language is language to keep, to keep thoughts and ideas. And by understanding if I'm part of the global community or if I say that I'm part of the human race, that it's to understand and not to assume and not to have a bias or prejudice that the whole world should think like me. Or I'm going to assume that everybody has had the experience that I did. So therefore, again, understanding that this language is a global language, one of the global languages in the world. And it is important, at least for me, to take a look at my own biases and prejudices and not to throw that on to the rest of the world and understand that culture does impact language. And that's a lot of times can directly impact a person learning English. And if they feel that they don't understand nuance, then that can lead to self-demotivation, lack of confidence. So I think it's a, what you're saying is exactly correct.
0: Which actually, like now, what you said now leads us to the real conversation that we're here for about, you know, um, you, because those ideas, um, they are rooted in a certain system. And the system that we live in, I mean, we talk about it a lot now when it comes to everything that is happening in the U.S. And if you, you know, uh, of course, I would love for you to contribute to the conversation as much as you want um, about uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. But it's not just about what's happening. It's about the system that... That has like rooted racism in it without people even knowing, right? So a lot of one of the biggest discussions here uh, recently has been around privilege, in particular white privilege, and I am going to dare and say that this is something we experience in the E.L.T. industry as well. And I would love to hear from you uh, first of all about like your thoughts on the matter, and also to ask you, as a black man, have you ever? experienced any sort of racism in the ELT industry from learners or in institutions? And if not, if, if you can share with us stories or anything. So we know that this exists.
1: OK, oh, yeah. sure. So sure. Let, let me take a step back. Me step back. Because I think what's I think important, what's I, want to the audience, I want to tell the audience a little story. I think it's important to define terminologies or words. So one word I want to talk about first is the aspect of privilege. And how do I define privilege? How does teacher will define privilege? I define privilege as a entitlement, benefit, or right. And then what I mean by that, let me use myself. I have a privilege. I'm a man. And in a world that I am a man, so I might not have experienced certain things that a woman might not experience. So privilege is again, that's a privilege. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have a privilege being a native English speaker. I recognize that that's a privilege. Now, what I would ask people to think about is the following, this is my own personal take. I don't. Be- I believe that everyone in the world has some sort of privilege in one way, shape or form. It can be based on your gender, it can be based on where you live, it can be based on who you love, it can be based on your race, your ethnicity, your accent, but in every, everyone in one's way, shape or form has a privilege. It can be based on what you believe in and don't believe in if you believe in God or a spirit. So I believe that everyone in the world has privilege. What I believe is the following is, is that for me as a human being who is a living, a particular experience and defined myself in a particular way and have been defined by others, is that I recognize and realize that, hey, for me, that everybody does not have the same privilege that I view. And I think that's important. So first is privilege. If people want to see additional information on thoughts, I did a video on my, on my YouTube channel about that. So the first word is privilege. And then I'll get to your question and race. The next is bias slash prejudice. What does prejudice mean? I have a prejudice. Or people might say to you, oh, you know what? Or they might say to me, hey, teacher Will, you're prejudiced. Or they might ask you the question, or do you have an opportunity to ask yourself the question, are you prejudiced? Prejudice or bias I would define as the following is that I would define prejudice as a preconceived notion or opinion of another person or a group of people that are not living your experience. Perhaps you might be prejudiced because I have gray hair. You don't know me. So I'll use this story. Let's say, for example, I'm in the United States of America and I'm walking down the street and I see three men that happen to have very long beards. They're walking into a car. And in that car, I see guns in the back of the car along with the Confederate flag. I don't know those people at all. But because of my experience of what I've experienced in my life, I have a prejudice. They could be the nicest person a, in the world, but I have a preconceived notion and opinion of a person, place, thing, or people based on whatever they are different from me, a preconceived notion. So think of it as that, you know what, for example, some of you might be saying, or looking at me and saying, Oh my God, I look the certain way that I am. Do I have a bias. Do I have a prejudice? And that prejudice is implicit. People might be saying, right, that, oh my, teacher Hadar, she said she lives in Israel. And you might have an implicit bias or prejudice based on what you want.
0: Maybe define implicit for, no, 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 go ahead. Just to, to take into consideration, what would you? how would you define implicit and then have them? And also I wrote a question. So Share with us what is your privilege. Right. And I love I love what you said. And I think it's so important. And I want each person here to like for a second, think about what is what is one privilege that they have. Right. Even being able bodied. Right. Being able to walk. That's a privilege. So I, I want you to write it I down.
1: Think I think that's a beautiful because oftentimes I think what has occurred is is people have not thought about that they thought about the other privileges or privileges that were prevented from them, but they might not necessarily have thought about the privilege that they have. Here's a privilege that I think everyone has an opportunity to think about. If you're listening to this call right now, that is a privilege because there are people in the world that do not have any internet connection, either by choice or they don't have the technology. So that's... That's natural, right? That's a privilege. What I would define, implicitly, is, is an initial thought. People are feed, fed images, like the first thing that comes to your mind, right? So you might say, okay, William's American, or William's an African American, or he's black, or teacher Hadar is from Israel. And it's that, that little inner thought that you have to catch yourself, right? So again, there's nothing to matter, I believe, with privilege as long as I recognize that everybody doesn't have the privilege that I do. So learners and family, what are your privileges? Do you recognize them? Number one. And additionally to that, have you ever thought about that? Because there might be some people in the world that have never thought in the world that they've had privilege. So we have privilege, we have prejudice or bias, preconceived notion or opinion of people. And then we come to this terminology called racism, 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 particularly big. What's going on in the world right now with respect to the United States, with respect to Black Lives Matter, with respect to other Muslims. But we hear this word racism. I define racism as the following. And I need people to listen to this. This is just my thought. And I'm the spokesperson for myself. I define racism as when a person thinks that they are superior to any other human being or person on the planet because of a particular reason. It might be your race, it might be your gender, it might be your ideology, it might be your belief, it might be uh, who you love, who you don't love, all of that. But you believe that you are superior because of who you are and every other individual and human being is inferior to you. Now within racism, what I think is important, at least what I've defined is the following because that's such a big word. No one would want to call themselves or be called a racist or possibly not even be asked if they're a racist. I want people to think about two types of racism. One is individual racism And the other is systematic racism. So we have racism where you think that somebody, you believe that a person, that you are superior to somebody, right? That's a system based on power, based on economics. And under that, you have individual racism and systematic racism. Let's talk about that briefly. Do you know any one of your friends and your friends or your family in your family, don't answer me. Just think about it. Do you know any one of your friends or family that says, oh, you know what? I don't like this person. I don't like that person. I, I, I have a problem with Americans. I have a problem with blacks. I have a problem with Israelis. I have a problem with uh, Muslims. I have a problem with gays. They're individual racists. They believe I have a problem with Arabs and Asians and Latinos. Do you know anybody in your family that says that, that believes that they are superior? That is individual racism. That is separate from systematic racism. How do we define systematic or how does teacher Will define systematic racism? The way I define systematic racism is, is that a a group of people now have the ability to take what they individually believe and institutionalize it in all different walks, forms of life within one's culture. For example, I will use the United States. Systematic racism has occurred in the United States for hundreds and hundreds of years. Perhaps people don't know about it or they might be introduced to it or they might even know about it, but they cannot take a look in the mirror because they haven't either wanted to or dealt with individual racism and privilege. But systematic racism has occurred for over 400 years in the United States. Point number two. One has an opportunity when discussing racism systematically to ask themselves the question, is the United States of America the only country that experiences racism? Is it in your country? Is it in your culture? Only you know that. But what I like to do is is I like to be objective. And based on my experience, I've been in, I'll use William Land. I've been in Williamland and they are, systematic racism has existed. Perhaps in my country, in Williamland, there was something called redlining or people that had, that were black or brown or were not in the major religious organization or religious affiliation, if they believed in that, that were discriminated against. Redlining example exists existed and exists in still certain parts of America. America comes from a history of systematic racism. And with that being said, I need to say one thing, and then we will ask the question, or I'll pause and see if we have any questions, with respect to racism, because I believe that teacher Hadar asked the question, is there, or could there be, systematic racism within the ELT industry? Well, here's something that we might want to think about. If the ELT industry is a microcosm of the world, and we believe that systematic racism occurs in different countries, am I naive to think, have I never thought, that if it exists in the greater society as a whole, Is the ELT separate from the world? Did it not? It's like we are part of the global human community. So if the way I process information is, is that if racism exists in Williamland, and I happen to be a teacher in Williamland, then I could be an individual racist, and there might be systematic racism in the ELT industry. For me, to answer your question as teacher, Haydar, is that I believe, based on personal experiences and the experiences that I've heard of others, and I will give examples, that systematic racism exists within the ELT industry because we are not separate from the greater world as a whole. With respect to my comments in terms of has racism personally affected me, I will use a brief story because I'd rather share the experiences of others because I think it's more important. I have been the recipient of racism, whether it was because of a preconceived notion or opinion and solely from the color of my skin. I could relate to the fact of when I was, uh, when I was in the United States of America and I was going to a party to my cousins. I was stopped for a particular reason because I met I met a profile. And being at the fact the time that I worked for the prosecutor's office, I didn't meet the profile. So, yes, I have individually. And within the, EL, within the ESL industry, what I was told uh, by an individual who's a human being was like, well, we like you and you're American, but... You're the N-word, so we don't want you as a teacher. So I have experienced that, but that's a reality. Or that's my reality. It doesn't make it right, but that's a reality. More importantly, what I think is important is, is to hear the stories or share some of the stories with maybe direct or indirect racism that I believe occurs within the ELT industry. When I hear fellow colleagues that are brothers and sisters that have the qualifications and yet they are not native and they don't get the job because they're native or they don't get the job because they don't have a native English speaking accent. That for me is racism. There are people that are on the call that are within the industry that know there are certain parts of the world that have what is considered the type of English. Whereas if you do not look a certain way, come from a particular country, have a particular gender and a shade of complexion that is not my shade, that they do not want you. And those are stories that. Possibly we know within the industry, but people can relate to that. When I hear from a when I hear an ATW follower that says who's a qualified teacher, who happens to be a woman, who happens to be a woman of color of Latino descent, and I need to preface by saying that everyone is of color. But when I hear her tell a story where she was literally told. If you were a light I would give you the job. That might be an example of systematic racism. So with respect to racism, I need something to be very clear. We've discussed privilege, where it's a benefit, right, or entitlement. Everyone has it. But everyone does not have the same privilege that I have. We've discussed bias. We've discussed racism individually and institutional. And two, I need to say this is my own sense of integrity, because I don't like to be hypocritical in myself. Within my years of existence on planet Earth, I have recognized that I am a prejudice. And I have done and I continue to recognize that I have to pray about that daily. I'm talking about myself. I don't consider myself an individual racist, and I don't consider myself an institutional racist, but I will admit, based on my experience, I have been prejudiced, and I have to prey on that daily, that when I have a preconceived notion and opinion of a group of people, that I have to change that. So I need to be honest with that.
0: Yeah, I think I think this is such a good point because it really shows that if we want to change systematic racism that exists in every single country, uh, every culture. I mean, it's something that like people—that's that's human nature to categorize themselves or to to create <laughs> different statuses, right? Yes.
1: Um,
0: yes. and I I can share m- my story, the experience of my parents, for example when they moved into Israel, because my dad is from Iraq, and my mom is from Libya. Um, So I I will share that in a sec, just, just to show you that it's really, really everywhere. But systematic racism ultimately is the result of individual racism. So the way to overcome it and start changing it is basically two things. One, to acknowledge our privilege, and two, to recognize those prejudices, right? That in there is nothing wrong. I mean, there is something wrong, but there is, it. it's natural. We all experience it. I definitely relate to that, that every now and then I have like these ideas that I've heard as a child, you know, about a certain group of people. So it's okay. Like it's natural that it comes up. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Because if you continue with the system and the fact that like, you know, usually people who have privilege benefit from the system. And and if we take it back to the English learning industry, I, I really want to ask you, all the people watching this, um, if you think that, wait, what are they talking about? I don't see color, right? Like this is something that um, I, I only learn with the people who are good teachers then. I'm going to dare and ask, look at the powerful teachers in the YouTube learning in like English learning industry, and especially teachers who are native speakers. And I want you to ask yourself if you see diversity, if you see various different voices. If you see people of color, if you see black teachers, if you see people who are not. Na- well, we're talking about native speakers in particular, but how much of them are non-native speakers? I mean, I'm a non-native speaker and I definitely experience challenges in this industry being a non-native speaker and being a person Did of color. Do you experience
1: discrimination from
0: um, I've never because I'm an. I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur and I do, I never really had someone to approve or disapprove me, uh, because I wasn't, I never had to apply for a job and have people not, you know, accept me or say something about that because I was, I was always like, I always had my own business, but I, I have, uh, I have experienced negative comments, um, people cursing me, even native speakers, who does she think she is telling us how to pronounce this and that, like how to say it, this is ridiculous. People who think that their pronunciation is the only pronunciation out there. And because I was teaching American pronunciation, so I experienced a lot of entitlement. And I didn't experience discrimination because it didn't affect my well-being. But it was definitely, you know, prejudice prejudice, and um, and I think that prejudice and, and prejudice. And then I, I definitely experienced that I had to work a little harder, which I don't, you know, I have no complaints about. My journey is my I mean, journey. Right, and I'm super proud right, of it. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: I will, I will. I think, I, let me say, say it like, like this. In my opinion, let's because I, so two quick points. For me, I, I believe that the change, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I have to look at the mirror. I have to look at my own merit face, my own demons, whatever like that, because I'm not exclusive from the world, right? But I want to say something about systematic racism and it will tie into the ELT industry. That is an economic system. People have to understand, and maybe these are issues that people haven't thought about before, because these issues are difficult and tough and people have like, oh, I don't want, right? But racism, systematic racism is an economic system. With respect to your comment about the ELT industry, if I use that same methodology, in my opinion, in my experience, also based on research. So it's not it's 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 research facts or facts and also my experience. The I would encourage I would ask your learners and let's see what your learners say. Ask them the question when they think of a good teacher. Ask them the characteristics. Where are they from? What do they look like?
0: And I would add proper English. Like when you think of a good teacher, when you visualize that teacher, like English teacher, that's a really, really good question. And how do they sound like? Like what do they sound like?
1: You know, so where you know, do they, so where they look like? Where are they from? And how do they sound? So research has indicated, in my particular opinion, most learners that I've spoken to, That the standard of English is a person that comes from a native English speaking country that happens to be a male or female that happens to be of European descent or white and they speak proper English with native English speaking accent. And with that being said, and said, and with that being said. I need for my brothers and sisters that are white, because I have white in my blood. I'm very proud to be black, but if I recognize I have European in me, Native American in me, and African American in me, the standard of English within that is perpetuated within the ELT industry is someone that is white. Male or female from a particular class speaking a particular type of accent that is native speaking accent, which I don't know what that means because every language has an accent, but we'll talk about that later. That is the standard, and that is based on research. And to my white brothers and sisters that I have and I appreciate and that I love as a fellow human being, perhaps you have not thought about your privilege before, and that's fine. Perhaps you've recognized your privilege and you didn't want to say anything about it, and that's fine. You be the judge. Or perhaps you've taken it so personally, and you, when I say that that does not take away from your experience, from the work, from the sacrifices that you've had to do, as it relates to your social media platforms or in your teaching journey as a whole. It's interesting that I can recognize the fact that I have privilege as a native English speaker, but yet when a person of color, and everybody has color, but when an African-American or when an African-American or someone of Arab descent or someone of Latino descent or a biracial individual sits back and says, well, wait a minute, perhaps you've had a privilege because you're white. <laughs> no, 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 no. What, what are you talking about? If we're part, for me, if we're part of the human race, again, there's nothing to matter with privilege. It's just important to recognize that everybody doesn't have the same privilege as I do. And last point that I would say is the following. I could be wrong, but it's interesting from stories I've heard From learners that I've had, or I'm sure teacher Haydard's had, where if I'm making the dissertation under systematic racism, because again, English came from, right? I mean, yes, it's an absorption of different languages. They absorb the language, but it came from England and England had a colonial system, right? That does not exclude that other countries have not had it because it has, but we're historically talking about English. Well... If that doesn't exist, learners, have you thought, have you done research and asked yourself the question? Have you ever thought about it? The videos that you see, the type of material that you see, who do they look like? Where are they from? What's their accent? I did a little research recently for my own growth and knowledge. If systematic racism is not there, not in our industry. And let me preface by saying any content provider has the right, he or she, to do anything that they want to do. But if English is a global international language that we say, which is a fact, and there are more non native individuals that speak the language than native speaking individuals, that's a fact. Ask yourself the question why are there so many videos out there? saying, sound like a native American accent, British accent, Canadian accent, reduce your accent. That's not right. That's not wrong. People can do what they want to, but perhaps it is perpetuating a system of oppression.
0: Amen to that. Amen to that. Now, let me add two more things to like everything you said here. Because, first of all, it really does lead us into understanding who we are in the system as non-native speakers. And I want to also challenge. So, first of all, yes, I absolutely agree. We need to, you know, actually decolonize the way we have been learning English. Because we have to understand that English, proper English, is something that someone at some point has invented, What do we like when even when people, let's say in the U.S. um, and they have they were uh, brought up or they, they grew up in the South and they have a Southern accent and they experience bias as well. And sometimes discrimination because people have ideas about these people who have that type of accent or someone with a Brooklyn accent. Now they need to change their accent if they want to get a fair shot because you know this is a you know we live in a racist society um so they have to achieve the standard american accent now the standard american accent or standard Brit- received pronunciation british english and same thing there is like a standard australian you're like upside down. Okay, that's it. You're back. Now, was was a set of sounds that someone, once upon a time, has decided that that is standard American. And According to that, people followed because it's not spoken standard American, what is being taught as when you teach accent reduction or, you know, you teach American pronunciation. Even when I teach it, I teach standard American. And again, it's not a regional dialect. It's not something real that people are born into. So my question is, who decided that that is the set of sound that is what standard American is?
1: And oh, can,
0: oh. We, can we maybe infer from the person who had the power to say that's standard American, maybe we can understand that w- this is where, where it starts to begin with. Because the person, let me tell you this, was not someone from South Asia or someone who is African American. It was probably a white dude deciding that this set of sounds is standard American. I'll even go a little, like, one step before and say... The vowel chart, right, was created by a white man, a white man with a certain dialect. So the vowel chart that, you know, seems like that is supposed to be super, let's say, objective, like a representation of all the sounds in the human mouth. My question is, had it been created by someone who had a different accent, maybe we would have a different reality, different sounds, different standards these days. So we need to go back all the way to understand that everything that we're doing now is rooted in a in a system that served the people in power. And as English learners, it is important to understand that because when you consume when you, when you, when you want to improve your accent, when you want to, well, not accent, but like learn pronunciation and improve your clarity, because ultimately that's what really, really matters, right? right so when you right. work on improving your clarity, it's very important to listen to diverse voices because there isn't one correct English English even though it seems that way in the English learning industry and in the entertainment industry and on the news, because you hear one certain sound, it is very important to understand that it's not a sheer representation or true representation of English in the world. And the reason why it's so destructive is because we compare ourselves to that sound, that native, that ideal of native English. And we are very as non-native speakers, we are far from that sound. And as the gap is bigger, it becomes impossible and and super frustrating to try and bridge that gap because first of all, there is no need. It's
1: yes, I'm not yes. saying
0: it's impossible, but it's challenging and it's hard and it takes time and we lose track of what really matters right and what's really important which is ultimately to communicate (laughs) in a
1: clear (laughs) way
0: right like who you know i want to no it's true it's
1: It's It's very true okay okay for me i distinguish between um for people that are part of atp W family I what is important to me is as I define fluency for me is more important than accent and under fluency is pronunciation accuracy intonation and stress now because of the experience that I had growing up for me was it was kind of like hey I never focused on my accent I focused on proper pronunciation but that was me growing up in America so for me hey the way my methodology is it's like hey you know what let's focus on your pronunciation and clarity to be understood, while at the same time recognizing and realizing, and thank you to my brothers and sisters and colleagues that I've had conversations with, that basically said, hey, teacher Will, listen, the real deal is this. I believe in you. I believe what you say, that pronunciation is more important than accent, but I have learners, learners in their own respective countries, or I have lost job opportunities that you know what? If I don't sound British-like or native-like, I will not get the job. So I am not making a judgment either way. I understand that exists, and as one human being, individuals have to make a determination because some people are like, hey, you know what? My accent is part of my identity. That's who I am. I'm going to focus on my, pre- uh, my pronunciation, my intonation. And there are other people that say, listen, I need to sound, I need to sound, like a native in order for me to pay my bills and pay my family. So I recognize that reality. At the end of the day, a learner needs to decide what he or she is comfortable with. But it goes to your point in terms of the aspect of how systematic these uh, systematic racism has has perpetuated the system. If it's, for example, when people say to me. Like, I understand why they say, oh, I like your accent. I understand that. What I would prefer is, is that I would prefer if people say, hey, you know what, teacher Will, I like your pronunciation. I like your clarity. Maybe the thing is, is that when people say that to me, I'm kind of like, well, wait a minute. What accent, when you say you, let, you want a Native American accent, what accent are you talking about? Because in the United States, you mentioned there are over 20 different regional accents, Southern, New York. So what is it? So I think what happens is, is that learners make a decision about that. And at the end of the day, it is to recognize, because here's the thing, Teacher Hadar, as your learners, I don't necessarily know if they recognize that's the question I've asked myself. Have they recognized or have they thought about that? Wait a minute. Like when they're going on YouTube, have they even thought of, or social media, have they thought of the question? It's like, well, wait a minute. Oh, I don't see somebody that looks like that. I don't see somebody that looks like me. Have the learners thought have about the that. Learners. And then if you could, I'll be quiet. Is One of the things you were talking about is privilege. I'm not asking, I don't know how you define yourself, but what are your thoughts on white privilege? Because I have a thought, but I'd love to hear, because I do think that's another layer. We all have privilege, but what are your thoughts on white privilege?
0: I've been actually researching it for, for a little bit now. And, um, I was trying to understand where I fit in, you know, uh, you know, like understanding my culture as well. And, I think that white privilege is, first of all, I'm going to talk about the fact that a lot of people who have the privilege, first of all, they don't understand that their starting point and the starting point of people of color, in in particular, you know, black people in America, for example, that have been, you know, that have been enslaved 400 years ago, that had an impact on the community or the life that they live right now. and when people expect you to be a fair player and this is why I like commenting on I don't see color, right? like we're all, you know why why does it matter? When you say why does it matter, then obviously, you have a privilege because you don't know why it matters, because it matters for the people who suffer from it. Because when for let's say decades and hundreds of years, you your family and your ancestors was not able to were not able to accumulate wealth and education, right? And you weren't able to live in in you couldn't leave certain areas. And that has an impact of your everything that you're entitled to, like what you deserve or who you are, or it has an effect Mm -hmm. on the choices that people make and whether to go to school or go to, or just work or pursue work. So it's when you don't see that and you don't understand that that's a privilege and that's the problem. And it's also important to understand that racism can be very, very subtle. So race a lot of people say, I'm not a racist because I don't go and, you know, um,
1: I have a black, I have a Jewish friend. friend. Right. I have like a black omit, friend, right? Like the token <laughs> black friend.
0: Yeah, so so they don't, like, they don't see it and they don't, uh, and also they say, they think that it's only doing bad things for, for people of color or black people, right? And being a part of the system and not acknowledging it and not pulling up the people who need that extra, because they don't have the same, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's uh, like you have different chairs, right? And you sit, let's say you and I had to, uh, we're sitting right now speaking, only I, let's say, would have, my chair would be like, you know, this short. <laughs> and that's just a fact, you know, and we would be speaking, obviously, there's like, and you would be having that high chair, right? Now, it's just, I was given this chair, and there's nothing I can do about it. It doesn't say anything bad about me. I just have this chair, right? And you have a higher chair. How does it affect the experience of the people watching? right? How does this experience uh, affect your experience? We have to acknowledge that it's, this is something that happens and you, you know, as someone that sees me all the way down here, your job is to say, okay, let me just either, I'll, like, we need to be at the same height, right? So it's your job to say, okay, I'll just kind of like, you know, squeeze myself down. So we're at the same height or pull me up because otherwise, you know, it's really, a, it's, it's, a lot of people say, okay, it's it's their fight, right? Like, they need to fight for their rights. Oh. And they need to, it's their thing. Like, let them fight for their rights. Yeah, I, I believe in that as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that because I want to bring it back to the ELT industry because it is the job of the learners to consume different voices right to listen to different voices but it's also the job of the industry and the people in power to understand that we suffer from lack of diversity and that doesn't serve the learners whatsoever so as a community and and there is a discussion around you know uh youtube english teachers about that and i love it and i think it's so important about how to make how to change it because yes it's serves some people, but a lot of people, they want to see that change and they recognize that there is a problem. So I think that it's also our job as a community of teachers to change that because ultimately it affects how we teach, who we teach and the self-esteem of the people that we teach.
1: Do you, because I don't know this, so I'm asking, do you have white privilege? Like if people think of you, do you, do you think, or have you ever thought about you might be the recipient of white privilege just by how you look, and they might not know where you're from. So, I'm not. I, I don't know. I'm asking. Like, do do you have do, it, or do they you, don't? Or they don't, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know.
0: This is an excellent question because I've been I've been uh, dealing with that and asking that myself. So, first of all, I, I recognize privilege. I recognize privilege in Israel, and I definitely recognize white privilege for sure. However. I also am a, like I'm I'm my dad is from Iraq my mom was born in Libya right They moved to right. the, to Israel when they were really young and there was systematic racism as well in Israel because right, and right. that like we we're talking about like 50 60 70 years ago because uh there are the Ashkenazi Jews
1: Yes uh, yes Jews yes, from yes.
0: European descent coming from Europe light skin right and there are the, the Middle North Eastern North African North Jews Right. And um, and when my dad was brought to Israel, when uh, when he was three years old from Baghdad and he had like they had a luxury house there, they had you know, that was privilege and they had to run away because of everything, the political um circumstances and they were moved into they they were called i don't know the name of it in english for my israeli viewers Ma'abara, which was yeah, basically yeah, 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 yeah. A, do you know it okay so I it to, was like an was area america,
1: I'm sorry, very quickly when i was in america i used to live next to uh uh, uh uh maybe like two miles or two kilometers from a rabbinical jew and so my next door neighbor was jewish so yes i'm aware of that i'm sorry continue sorry Sure. I love that.
0: I didn't know that, you know, I need to, to search for the name of English. I just like spat all over my fa- myself. Anyway, so they were brought into Israel and put in tents in a very, very, like very, uh, everything was packed in a very small area, um, did not have access to fresh water, did not have access to, you know, uh, commute. They were isolated. Definitely like my dad had to walk to school for like an hour every single day, right? Right. That you know, and and at the same time, people lived in Tel Aviv in cities. You know, people from European descent that they they arrived to Israel and they were given, you know, they were given houses. They were given kibbutzes, which is like you know, um, right. social, yeah, social communal uh, uh, settlement. Right. And right. settlement, on the sense of you know Israeli Palestinian, um, you know. Uh,
1: you recognize your white privilege, even though you might not identify yourself as white. So I give you a lot of credit because there are a lot of people that I knew, for no fault of their own that would never say that. And I'm not asking you to define yourself, but there are, for example, I have a very good friend and, and not because he's white. I have a very good friend. He's white. He had this. He's like, you know what? I never even recognized my privilege. So I give you credit for the fact as a human being that happens to be living the experience that you are, you recognize that. Because in my experiences, is that most whites either recognize it and don't want to say anything because at the end of the day, power, if we look at the ELT industry as an economic system, and that economic system is based on white, male, female, native, things of that nature, it doesn't mean those people, it doesn't mean those people are not bad or whatever I don't know those people I can only be responsible for myself but they benefit from that system so that in itself for you to say that I think other people might need to hear that because because I'm sorry go ahead.
0: No, but but it's very true because even though I'm considered to be you know to have prejudice against I still can say okay my white privilege is I'm Jewish in Israel and I'm not because arab israeli's suffer from racism and discrimination so i can say that people who moved from ethiopia who are who have black skin obviously they suffer from racism and 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 discrimination a lot more than i do so of course you know even though i'm not ashkenazi jews jew i'm still you know in a position of power so that's that's, that, what, that's what, that's what we said
1: pressure. that's the oppression, that's the oppression. That's the oppression that makes us human. Again, it goes back to, hey, there's nothing to matter if, you know, there's nothing to matter with privilege as long as you recognize that everybody doesn't have the same privilege and isms occur across the line, which is a beautiful segue because I want to address this. And I think it ties into your comments about white privilege or whatever like that. Earlier, you were referencing the Black Lives Matter movement. Let me just say this briefly. I'm not, I'm my own spokesperson. If people want more information, I have some information. I'm dropping a video tomorrow on it on my YouTube channel. So hopefully it will shed a different experience or something of that nature. I would just say it very quickly like this. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, let's just say for a moment that someone that you know. uh, I want to tell a story. Let's just say, for example, like someone that you know that is very dear to you, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You love them dearly. And that person, the person that you love, comes to you in pain and they say, Do you love me? So let's say I'm teacher, I'm teacher Hadar's husband for a moment, I'm in pain. I go to I go to my wife Hadar and I say, Teacher ha- teacher Hadar, Hadar, do you love me? And she responds to me, I love everyone. Her statement is truthful. But at the moment when I'm in pain and I'm hurt, her statement, I go to her in pain and I say, hey, do you love me? And she comes back and says, I love everyone. Though her statement is truthful, at the moment, it's hurtful and cruel. Another one. Let's just say, for example, that perfect example, my mother died, right? And I go to Hadar, teacher Hadar, and I say, my mother died. I'm visibly upset. I'm in pain. And I go to Hadar, and I say, Hadar, teacher Hadar, my mother died. And she comes to me and says, everyone's parents died. Now, her statement is quite truthful. But at the moment, it's cruel or hurtful. Why am I telling you that story? I want you to imagine that for a moment. When I say, Black Lives Matter and I'm in pain or somebody that identifies himself in pain comes and say they're in pain. They come and say, Black Lives Matter. And you respond, all lives matter. Though your statement is truthful, at the moment it's cruel and hurtful. Now, I am the spokesperson for me. When I say Black Lives Matter, that does not take away the hurt, pain, oppression, suffering of any other human being based on race, based on class, based on gender, based on orientation, based on religious persecution, whatever. That does not take away the oppression of another human being. So for me when I hear people respectfully in the industry that say all lives matter, though your statement is truthful, at the moment it might be hurtful. Any content provider has the right to do what he or she wants to do. I'm standing in my sense of truth for a moment. There are some people that I heard in the industry whose names will be not named that have said that, oh, I wish these black matter lives would go away. I wish this issue would just be go away so I can go back to my life. And they have that right to think that or feel that. To my brothers and sisters in the industry that have said, This is a political issue. I respect what you think because you're another human being and you have a right to do whatever you want to. But it's interesting that the pain or the hurt of another human being that happens to be of African descent or Arab descent or Latino descent, the pain of another human being, for some, is political and not human. It's interesting to me that there are people that are not black, and again, nothing to my white brothers and sisters, because I consider them that, that have reached out to me. And there are some that I've said yes, and there are others that I've said no. I will reach out to anybody, black, white, green, purple, because I, I don't, I don't, I don't care about your religion. I don't care about your color. What I care that you're a human being, and I look at your intent. Let me use Teacher Hadar for a moment to make it. Imagine, imagine for one moment. If if I am, I've displayed a characteristic with Hadar, she identifies as being Jewish, and I've said negative issues about Jews in the past, and done derogatory things, and posted terrible stuff, and then deposted it. Or or people know that I'm a clos- I know that I'm a closeted bigot or an individual racist. And then Black Lives Matter happens, or Black Jewish lives matter, because there are Black Jews. And then all of a sudden, I wanna reach out. I wanna listen. I wanna do a tour. Maybe Hadar or teacher Hadar, she has a choice of saying yes, she has a choice, the choice of saying no. But because of that bigotry because of that systematic racism that might be, or she might say no. I will work with anybody because at the end of the day, I'm a human being that happens to live a human experience. And I'm not touting myself on a horn. If you go to my YouTube channel or Instagram channel, I have slang language, I have the receipts that I work with anybody that's human being. But understand my brothers and sisters, That happened to be white. That if you reach out to any person of color, that what is important, at least for me, is your intent. There's a difference on hanging on a bandwagon saying Black Lives Matter. And I don't know what anyone's intent is. That is between them, themselves, and their creator. But there's a difference between. If a person is generally sincere, because it goes to your question, teacher, about how, because I don't want to talk, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of talking about problems. I want to talk about solutions. There's a difference if anybody wants to learn about an experience different from their own. There's a difference if you want to learn about uh, the African-American or Black teacher's experience or an Arab teacher's experience or a Latino's different experience. If your intent is in the right place, then more power to you. But understand if people will not work with you because there is no track record or they're scared of you or apprehensive of you because they might think they don't know where you stand because you haven't had any previous point. What I believe the change comes from, for me, or for any other teacher that wants to work with somebody else, there is a difference if there are these issues of oppression or there are these issues like, okay, you've never had, let's say, for example, and I'm using teacher Hadar as an example, but this ain't the case. This is not the case. Let's say teacher Hadar is, a, you know, she's had a moment. She's like, wow. Right. And she's sincere. And she asked me to do a live or she asked me to go on this forum. And this is a real life talk. Real, real truth. I did it. Why? Because she had a track record. Something in her life before this recognized that she is in the human race. So when she called me and said, hey, I want to do this, I was more comfortable because she established a track record. She had on people that were diverse. She had them on her Instagram. She had them on her YouTube. She was talking about these issues before. That's different than imagine if Hadar, teacher Hadar, didn't have any of that. And then she comes to me and says, I want to talk about Black Lives Matter. I want to talk about diversity. For those content providers that want to sincerely change, that have numbers, whatever that means, because unfortunately we're driven in a world that have numbers. That is not to diminish anybody that has. Not the numbers, whatever, but visible people. Like if you ask your learners, who do they think of when they think about English or whatever like that? If those learners or if those content providers are sincere with their actions, talk about their own experience. If they happen to be white, dare yourself to ask yourself the question if you want to. You don't have to. Do you have privilege? Do you want to talk about it? You might lose followers. You might not. That is an individual decision. And I'm not telling anybody what to do. But for me, those, my brothers and sisters, my allies, if you want to be an ally, take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, does your content reflect what you were trying to do? Does it do it in the past? And now, yes or no and we only have the moment in time we have right now. You do. There's a difference between doing a listening tour and a difference between having honest conversations with yourself. And if you're down for Black Lives Matter or any other matters, perhaps have people donate, do the history. So that's number two. And the last, for me as a system, The ELT system, if we make the assumption that it is a systematic, that is part of systematic racism, the greatest challenge, number three, is the biggest one for me. And that is the students must be the change if they think and they deserve that they are even worthy of it. Some of our learners, some of our people listening right now might not have even thought of that some of our learners might have been discriminated against either racially ethnically religiously accently if that's a word accent they might have been di- discriminated against told that they were less than but they don't feel that they have a voice it's time to tell your story it's time for the learners that if they want diversity within the ESL industry that they must reflect or have the opportunity to reflect the change. Is there value in listening to a content provider that is sitting back bullying you, discrediting who you are? The change will come when you take the money out of their pocket. Somebody can be an individual racist, an individual bigot, an individual sexist, they don't like nobody, that's fine, that's their individual. But the change will come when you, the students, demand it and hold them to account. And I'm a little optimistic. I'm an optimist realist. I'm hoping that that change will come from the younger generation. Because if you look in the world, people that historically are not working together or come together, they said, you know what? Something is broken. And I don't care your race. I don't care your ethnicity. I don't care your gender. I don't care your religion if you have one. I don't care if you like, your battle is my battle because we're human. So I'm an optimist realist, but the learners must be the change because a lot of times they haven't even thought about it. And that in itself is a privilege.
0: I'm like virtually hugging you right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much. And I believe this is just one of many future discussions that we're going to have because I think that um, I would love to hear more about what we have to say about so many different aspects of language learning. So thank you. Thank you so much uh, for this powerful uh, interview. Thank you. Thank you.